This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. The legal noose around House Representative Matt Gates's neck just got a whole lot tighter with revelations that his wingman, the former Seminole County tax collector and quasi-conservative pimp Joel Greenberg, turned over a treasure trove of damning evidence to prosecutors implicating Gates in a host of sleazy and criminal encounters with underage girls. We're learning shocking new details today about the sex trafficking investigation involving Congressman Matt Gates. In recent months, since the charges against him were levied, Gates has been on a face-saving blitz through MAGA country, trying to stage a series of face-saving stunts to shore up his base and continue raising money. He has launched a podcast to attack those who have wronged him, meaning from the Justice Department to Fox News. Welcome to Firebrand. I'm Matt Gates. He's toured the nation with QAnon Queen Marjorie Taylor Greene, held rallies in defense of Britney Spears. Well, now the whole world knows what Britney Spears wants, and it is the freedom and the liberty that should be offered to every single American. Free Britney! And most recently, gathered fellow Republican trolls, including Green, for a press conference to advocate for the rioters who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. We will not back down. We will not stop asking questions. We are looking for the truth. He's also been trolled on the streets of Florida by comedian Walter Masterson, who managed to get his arm around the congressman and tell him that people think he's a pedophile. Oh my God, I'm so so excited! I'm so excited! I mean, this, oh! Everyone thinks you're crazy. I don't think you're crazy. People think you're a pedophile. I don't think you're a pedophile at all. I don't think he's a pedophile at all. The charges against him are totally false. They're totally false. Oh my God. This charge was echoed by Gates' own sister-in-law, Roxanne Lucy, who told social media followers her sister's fiance is a literal pedophile before saying that the better word would be ephibophilia a person who was attracted to mid to late adolescence. It is not pedophilia, it is ephibophilia, which is being attracted to like post-pubescent teens in the age range of 15 to 19. In another video, Lucy claimed that Gates pressured an older man to hit on her when she was 19, a move she described as weird and creepy, adding that Gates went full lawyer when she confronted him about the incident at a family gathering. And as someone who has personally experienced ton of creepy old politician men hitting on me when I was underage and experiencing sexual assault at that age by people of power. It's just very disheartening. According to ABC News, Gates's pal has been steadily providing information and handing over potential evidence that could implicate the Florida congressman and others in the sprawling probe. As part of his ongoing cooperation with prosecutors, Greenberg has provided investigators with years of Venmo and cash app transactions and thousands of photos and videos, as well as access to personal social media accounts that the sources said. Sources close to the investigation have revealed this week that Greenberg has been giving them a treasure trove of information, and plenty of it seems to implicate Matt Gates. We're talking about thousands upon thousands of Venmo transactions, DMs, text messages, emails, videos. The private messages reviewed by ABC showcase a hidden world of sex, drugs, and wanton debauchery inside of a series of private homes and luxury hotel suites in and around Central Florida. The cast of characters included Gates, 
but also a who's who of prominent Florida conservatives and sheds new light on the process by which Greenberg allegedly met women online who were paid for sex and introduced them to the Florida congressman and other associates. It's not gonna be an orgy. It's a toga party. A series of Google voice text messages from September of 2018 provides a roadmap for how Greenberg would procure girls for the congressman and his friends through a series of sugar daddy websites where women trade sex for gifts and allowances. The New York Times reveals that Gates dated women from so-called sugar daddy websites, including one called Seeking Arrangement. The spokesperson for Seeking Arrangement is none other than Rachel Yucatel, best known as Tiger Woods' mistress number one. It's these women, many of whom were underage and allegedly procured by Greenberg for Gates at his request, that is at the heart of the investigation and could land the Gates behind bars for a very long time. I have a friend flying in and we're trying to make plans for tonight. What are your plans for later, Greenberg wrote to the woman. And how much of an allowance will you be requiring, Greenberg asked. The woman responded by telling Greenberg she has a friend to introduce me to the website that I could bring and said she usually requires $400 per meet. Greenberg then replied that Gates was down here only for the day, adding, we work hard and play hard, before asking, have you ever tried Molly, referring to the drug MDMA or ecstasy? Yeah, let's have a bachelor party with chicks and guns and fire trucks and hookers and drugs and booze. Yeah, yeah. Ah! As Greenberg was discussing payment for the get-together, the woman asked if Gates used the same website Greenberg had used to meet her. Greenberg replied in part, he knows the deal, referring to the Florida congressman. The former tax collector then said he would book a suite downtown for the gathering. Multiple sources told CNN is that Gates would share images, show colleagues pictures of nude women that he said he had slept with. When he was a member of the Florida State House of Representatives, Gates had quite a reputation for his sexual conquest and that his female colleagues often referred to him as, quote, creepy Gates because he made them feel just so uncomfortable. Harlan Hill, a spokesman for Gates, imagining having the job, vehemently denied all wrongdoing as it relates to this latest dump from Greenberg. He instead pointed reporters to Gates' new podcast, Firebrand, where the congressman addresses the allegations. Then there's me, March 31st, April Fool's Eve. I stood in the Fort Walton Beach airport as my chief of staff delivered the news. The New York Times would soon be reporting that I was being investigated for child sex trafficking. Soon Insider would publish that I use hookup websites had I brought a 17-year-old across state lines. You gotta love that even in the middle of an underage sex scandal, Gates still has a disciplined multi-platform media strategy. I've never had an account on Seeking Arrangements, and now the whole world knows it definitively. Additional Facebook messages paint a similar picture, showing Greenberg organizing another romp in July of 2018 that included Gates and women the former tax collector had allegedly been paying for sex at the home of a Florida hand doctor who founded a medical marijuana advocacy group and, according to reports, allegedly accompanied Gates on a 2018 to the Bahamas that investigators are scrutinizing. You should come meet the group, Greenberg wrote to the entrepreneur. I think it would be a wise investment of time. I'd like for you to meet Congressman Matt Gates, Greenberg wrote. Gates is a wild man, but great dude. Yes. Yes. Yes! 
Come to Papa! Greenberg then says in the message that the party would have six to seven chicks and just three to four guys. He finishes with some reassurance. It's our safe place, all things considered. I'm here for the gangbang? Because I was cavorting with prostitutes? The Bahamas trip is one of the many strands in the federal investigation surrounding Gates. What began as an inquiry into sex trafficking and whether Gates paid women and an underage girl in exchange for sex has grown into a larger review of public corruption, according to people familiar with the investigation. Congressman Matt Gates may have traveled overseas with a donor who's accused of funding the trip and paying for female escorts. The Florida Republican has broadly denied the allegations but has confirmed that he is under federal investigation. Investigators are now looking at whether Gates and his associates tried to secure government jobs for some of the women, sources say. They are also scrutinizing Gates' connections to the medical marijuana sector, including whether his party pals and others sought to influence legislation Gates had sponsored. Now, new details about the federal investigation into embattled Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates. Sources are telling CNN that prosecutors are investigating whether the Florida Republican took gifts, including travel and paid escorts, in exchange for political favors. Well, Gates has appeared to distance himself from Greenberg since the news broke regarding the investigation. He previously described Greenberg to acquaintances as his wingman. Can you imagine these two out on the prowl together at the Cheesecake Factory or wherever they'd hang out? You know, you've had, you've had all the experts say, well, look out for the Delta variant or the Lambda variant. Next is going to be like the Chi Omega variant or the... Pi Kappa Psi variant. I got the Florida variant. I got the freedom variant. It affects the brain. I must admit that I remember these days with disgust from having to accompany Trump to Las Vegas and other locales where he would indulge his own needs. Now trust me, whatever you think of Gates' dalliances, the Donald has his own dirty laundry. Readers of my book, Disloyal, will remember descriptions of Trump visiting a Vegas strip club in 2013 and watching a golden shower performance with delight. This is a sad and seedy world that Gates is exploiting. Hopefully, karma returns the favor. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is one of the sharpest political writers in the past 30 years. Andrew Sullivan has spent that time gleefully skewering the hypocrisy of both the right and the left, refusing to take any side but his own. The British-born Sullivan is the former editor of The New Republic and the author of six books. He started an influential political blog in the early days of web publishing. The Daily Dish, which ran almost daily for 15 years. Most recently, he has served as the writer at large for New York Magazine. A longtime liberal conservative in the mold of British thinkers like the late Christopher Hitchens and the mid-century philosopher Michael Oakeshott, 
Sullivan nevertheless abandoned the Republican Party in 2003, equally disenchanted with the war in Iraq for which he was initially in favor. But mainly, he foresaw the party's continued rightward drift and predicted its descent into extremism. Sullivan's most recent book, Out on a Limb, is a collection of his essays from the past 30 years and in their totality create a map for the cultural wars won and lost and where we are as a result. My main question for him today was how did we get here? What were the antecedents for MAGA and where did the GOP go wrong along the way that it would become the party of Matt Gates and seed itself to a band of trolls and cultural nihilists for whom power and winning elections was all that mattered? Well, Sullivan came prepared to answer these questions and so much more. So let's listen now to that conversation. Andrew, your new book, Out on a Limb, was referred to by the New York Times as a journey through 32 contentious and confused years of American politics and culture. Now, you seem to have had a crystal ball with you all of these years in your ability to prognosticate this current political moment. Now, as an example, in a 2005 essay, which seemed to predict the coming authoritarianism in this country, you wrote, and I quote, an ideologically polarized country in which one party uses big government for its own moral purposes and the other wields it for its own is not one that can long maintain a civil discourse. The consequence? Politics becomes war. Now, I'm curious if you can trace us how we got to where we are right now from this essay in 2005 and its similarities to what's really going on. Well, you know... It started in a way, this, this big divide started in a way in the 60s. It, it really comes down to that. There was a, a generation in the 60s, the boomers, and they divided in two between those who went to war and those who didn't, and those who stood up for their country and those who didn't. And that, and those who were on top of the sexual revolution and those people who were resisting it. Uh, and that divide, which is in the generation above me, really, kind of controlled so much of American culture for so long. And it, it felt like these were not just two sides, but two tribes, two tribes that felt more and more like themselves and less and less like the other. And this was compounded in a way by the fact that over that period, the amount of money you could make from being brainy, from actually having a brain. And for a long time, techies, code, code, coders, they, were, they did, had no power at all. They had no real money. Suddenly, the internet comes along, technology comes along, and liberates all these brain people to get money, huge amounts of money. And, and what you see is the divide between people who went to college and were able to get on that gravy train and people who didn't go to college and who couldn't. And you put all that together, and you, you go back to 2000, that year, where the, it was the first year we had a red-blue map, and it divided the country almost painfully down the middle, exactly down the middle. And since that time, those tribes have kind of begun to hate each other more than they love the country they both live in. And until and it comes to a point where you really, the point of politics is to, is to injure, wound, attack that tribe rather than talk with that other tribe to figure out how we can have a constructive solution to various problems that come up in politics. So, so that's what happened. And we became, and then we overlaid that tribe 
with things like race and gender uh, so that people of a certain race had to be in one tribe and people in another race had to be in another tribe until eventually you realize that we're in a tribe versus tribe moment, which is not politics, it's war. And that's sort of where we have come to. It's a cold civil war. And, and I think that's, that's the underlying problem that we have, the ability to see the world from the other side's point of view. How can we do that? And when we do that, how can we come to some kind of deal? How can we compromise? How can we get through the next year? And that's the problem. And the problem is that when you become tribal, it becomes more important to win or nothing than to gain a half measure or a little something that you want and give the other side something they want. That becomes basically horrifying to you. Anything you, you don't want the other side. It's like a really bad marriage at the end of which you're doing things to each other out of spite. You're not actually doing it for any constructive reason. And there's a lot of spite going on in this, in this country right now. It's almost become like the political version of War of the Roses, mm -hmm. where it's all or nothing, right? There's no more discussion. It's all or nothing. Take it or leave it. I'm right. You're wrong. There is no middle ground. I'm going to disparage you the way that I want to disparage you. I'm going to behave in a way that I know is not dignified. I know that it's not certainly what our constituents specifically want. But I take a position like the position of Donald Trump, and I will fight you all the way. He says that you don't need to wear masks. Fuck you. Who are you to tell me? Well, I'm Dr. Anthony Fauci. I'm an epidemiologist extraordinaire who actually has years and years of experience in this area. And you, on the other hand, have never read a book um, on, you know, on <laughs> epidemiology uh, and, you know, and disease. So, I'm probably right and you're probably wrong. It's like, fuck you. I'm the president of the United States and what I say goes. And then all of these followers, all of these followers start doing the same thing and then fighting with each other. I don't know if you watch TikTok or on some of these YouTube videos where you have people legitimately smashing each other over the head with sticks or soda cans like Coke Zero over the head simply because the other person is or is not wearing a mask. Right. And this is the tribalism I suspect that you're referring to. But by the way, it's not just race and gender. It also then, it, it morphed its well into, you know, sexual orientation and a thousand, um, you know, and a thousand other areas. And then we get past that area and then somehow it gets drawn back in by somebody. You know, human beings... We've lived on the planet for 200,000 years. That's how long Homo sapiens has been standing upright and walking around. For 100... No wonder my back hurts. <laughs> for for 195,000 of those years, we lived in tribes. And when we saw someone from a different tribe, we were immediately on alert. That person could kill us. They'd look different than us. So that is part of our genetics. It's more natural to be tribal than it is to be an individual. And what the West did, the one thing the West did, the one thing that actually, and forgive me, but Jesus did, was say, you know, it's not the Jew, it's the Samaritan that's doing the good work here. Suddenly, the tribe was split up. Suddenly, you said, what matters is the individual. What matters is the individual and their conscience and whether they're right or wrong. It doesn't matter what tribe they're in, it's what they do. And from that understanding, they were actually made up, not of tribes, sort of individuals, 
comes the entire European civilization, comes liberal democracy, comes liberalism, comes this idea that we're all individuals trying to figure out our future together using reason and the common good. And we have to adopt that posture of being not fully a human, not actually a member of a tribe, but a member of a political community in which we are prepared to talk to each other and reason with each other about where we go forward. And and that is a hard thing for humans to do. It's just hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. It's hard for everybody. And and the when we revert back to our sort of lizard brain, to our tribal nature, well, fuck you guys, you look different than me. You're doing something different than me. Therefore, I hate you. It, it comes so naturally to us. It's so unnatural not to do that. And so we kind of forgot what we had created. The whole liberal democracy was based upon the notion that anybody could vote. Everyone's vote was equal. Every individual citizen has a point of view. It doesn't matter what race or color or background you are. Do you have a good argument? Do you have a good point? Can we compromise around this thing? That was what we had. But the instant you let it become just your tribe versus my tribe, and, you know, Donald Trump is a genius tribalist. He's a tribal leader. He understands that. He was only president for his own tribe, not the other tribe. And he has amazing ability to piss the other tribe off. And there was some kind of which, some moment at which people decided they wanted to piss those people off more than they cared actually about what happened to their country. And that's what happened. Before packing your bags for some summer travel, make a plan to help protect your personal information online. Keeping your devices up to date with the latest security patches, changing your passwords, and avoiding using public Wi-Fi can help prevent your personal information from getting into the wrong hands and ruining your summer vacation. Your private information is more exposed than ever and can leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security helps block cyber criminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock identity theft protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. But Andrew, my question to you is, I fully understand this, as does all of my listeners, regarding tribalism. But at the, at the essence of tribalism, why can't the tribe just be, we're all Americans? It's like, I watched the Olympics. I may have been the only one, but because I speak to friends, they're like, hey, Michael, what are you doing? You know, fuck it. I'm on home confinement, so I'm watching 22 hours a day. I mean, I've seen everything. I mean, I saw BMX. I mean, all of a sudden now there's there's actually BMX jumping and skateboarding, you know, shit in the Olympics, too. I'm the like, speed, my the God. The speed walking? Did you see the speed walking? Yeah, That is the I weirdest did. thing I've ever seen. There's a lot. But why can't the tribe just be American? Because as I'm watching the Olympics, 
I'm not looking to see whether the runner is black, white, Asian, Japanese, right? Uh, I don't care. I truly don't. I see USA on the front, and I want them to beat the ROC. I want them to beat Japan and China. I wanted to see America have more gold medals and more medals than all the other countries. That's my tribalistic instinct. That's my wishes and wants. But I'm not, I'm not willing to break down that tribalistic thought into Republican and Democrat, whereby, you know, now I've really micro-sized down, right? It's almost like nanotechnology right. where you ramp it down into this tiny little thing where, okay, we're both American and we're both white, okay? Therefore, my tribe is American and white, and anybody that doesn't fit into that— I have to hate. Right. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, interesting also when you first when you first started talking about, you know, the war going on in the in the 60s. Did it really matter if the guy next to you was white and Christian? What if he was black and Muslim? What if he was Asian and American? Right? You're in the trenches fighting the enemy. Again, the tribe being we're all American. And we want to let people into our tribe, hence the concept of immigration. Yeah, tribalism can take place at all sorts of levels. You can't get rid of it because it's so part of our nature as humans. But the benign form of tribalism is to have the tribe at the nation state level, where we all speak the same language, we can all get together, have the arguments in the Congress, debate these things. And then we have tribalism at a sort of local level, your local team your state team, your college team. Then you can be tribal in the kind of sports arena. That's how, we, that's how we express tribalism without it becoming dangerous. So we can act out those feelings because we're a supporter of this team as opposed to that team in a, in a football game. Um, but, and so the key is to try and keep tribalism both at a small local level, like you're proud of your state, your city, your team, your college, your whatever, and at the national level, I'm proud of my country, and not in a way that divides the country into two parts. Um, but this country, you know, one has to remember, it's the only really truly modern democracy that went to war with itself in relatively recent years. A civil war that was bloodier than any civil war in any other country per capita. Incredible amount of strife. So this country also has a long history of tribalism erupting and breaking out around issues of race and around issues of identity. And so that's what we need to be on guard against. And the rhetoric we're hearing now in which people on the other side of the aisle who are Americans just like we are, are demonized as if they're worse, worse even than foreigners. I remember with Trump, it was like they would rather be run by Russia than by Democrats. What the hell happened there? Didn't, wasn't there a moment at which we said, no, we're Americans, even though these are assholes and I don't agree with them. and I disagree with them my whole life. They're still Americans. We're still part of the same project. No, at the, some point they were like, we prefer Vladimir Putin to Barack Obama. Well, that is when a society has stopped being a single society has become two countries, two tribes. And the goal right now, the struggle right now, is to try and knit that back together again, person by person, region by region, town by town, family by family. You know, families are divided this way too. 
I cannot tell you the number of families that I know of uh, individuals who don't speak to their siblings anymore, mothers and fathers not speaking to their children based upon the view that they take, Republican, Democrat, et cetera, et cetera. I find it to be absolutely stupid. You know, there was the old days of Tip O'Neill. And Tip O'Neill basically used to go off on anybody, right, on, on anyone and everyone. But after the day was over, He's the first guy that would invite you across the street to sit down, come have a beer, come have a drink, and let's talk this thing through. Today, there is no compromise. And without compromise, we really are in a dangerous place. We're in a place where we may not ever be able to come back. And you're right. This country saw an ugly civil war, right? But we're seeing it again now. We're seeing it again where a guy like, um, you know, where um, a, a man can lose his life by having somebody with their knee on their neck. And there are actually people, other Americans, that turn around and feel that that action was justified simply because of the color of one man's skin. And this is what the cult of Trump has brought out, that your worst racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic rant is okay. Because I, the leader, your supreme leader, right, say it's okay because I'm going to say it myself. I'm just not going to come right out and say it, right? But I'm going to say it anyway so that you, my faithful follower, my supporter, are going to listen to my words, interpret it the way you want, and act the way that you want. And that's what's really dangerous yeah, about especially, Donald J. Trump. It's especially dangerous in the American system because the president's the head of state, not just the politician. Like in Britain, where I grew up, you had parliament where you're facing each other and yelling at each other. So we've seen pictures of the House of Commons. It is not a civil place. They are yelling at each other. However, there's a rule there. One of the rules is you cannot accuse someone else of lying in the House of Commons. Why? Is that a rule? Because if that started to happen, no, one, no one's word would be taken seriously. The whole thing would become a farce. And the accusation that you're acting in bad faith means that we cannot really have a debate. So they make that illegal. But also in my home country, they have the Queen, who is the head of state, who's always been the head of state. She's been the head of state, whether it's a conservative or a Labour government. She's the head of state when it was Churchill. She's the head of state when it's Theresa May. She's the head of state when it's Boris Johnson. And so that symbolizes the nation. Now, in America, because the president is not just the political leader, but also the head of state, he has a particular obligation not to be tribal, to keep the country together. And what I think Trump never understood was that is part of the job description. You are president of all of us, including the people who didn't vote for you. And he just can't, that whole concept, you know, there's this concept of a zero-sum engagement where you win, I lose. And then there's a non-zero-sum engagement where we both win, where we can both do something, we both gain something from it. Trump has no understanding of that latter idea. We can do something together and we'll both do great. And it doesn't matter which one does not, better. But, but Andrew, not if you want to be an autocrat, if you want to be a supreme leader and you actually are interested in changing the democratic system that we currently have and have always lived by. His, his thought 
was that he was going to be the next Vladimir Putin of the United States really, of America. You think that's he, wanted what he wanted to, to be. I do. I do. I. I, not only do I think it, I know it. That's what he wanted. And when he jokes around, because one thing I've always said, Donald Trump doesn't understand humor and he doesn't understand comedy. He just doesn't. His brain's not wired that way. When he says, well, what about Trump 2030? Right. He's not joking. Right. He's actually he's actually thinking that far ahead. How about when he turned around and said that the Democrats fucked up my first term? Therefore, I should get a redo. No, no, no election. I decide that there should be a redo simply because the Democrats didn't go along with everything that I wanted them to go along with. Well, you're right. He doesn't understand our system. Right. right. He doesn't understand how government works. And it's very- he understands how dictatorships work. He understands how Kim Jong-un operates or Putin or Mohammed bin Salman. That he understands. And that's what he wanted to turn America into. He- and we were very close, too. We were. And this is what I was extremely concerned about. But there's always this case of, but can he do it? Is he, he, I know he wants to do it, but he doesn't really have enough grasp of the machinery of government to do it he didn't actually nearly do it i mean if that was the problem he clearly wanted to but fail i mean think about this michael think you had if if you're an autocratic dictator the best thing that could happen to you is to have a plague suddenly it's an emergency you can do what the hell you want he could have instituted martial law there are emergency authorizations and the truth is he didn't He actually preferred to deny that it was happening, pretend it wasn't happening, to do less, not more. He wanted to get it past him. So when push came to shove, I have to say, he didn't have the capacity to actually enforce a kind of tyranny. However, then when he's lost the election, he can't face losing either. So then he's on the defensive side. He doesn't. So then he just tries to screw the entire system up. I mean, this is this is true of him throughout. Burn the, burn the burn fucking down. place like, down. Like it, burn it down. I lost. Therefore, everything it, it's, does. It's, it's, it's everything has to be burned to the ground because there's no chance in the world that someone like Joe Biden, sleepy Joe Biden, could end up defeating the great and all-powerful Wizard of Oz, Donald J. Trump. But, you know, Andrew, let me move on for a second because we could, we could continue with this crazy thought for a long time. <laughs> with the Department of Justice's waiving its executive privilege for the notes taken by Richard Donahue, we're learning the extent to which former President Trump, the other guy, right, the former guy, pressured the Justice Department to help him in his quest to overturn the election. Right. This was just one way that he was going to do it. Now, there is the emergence of Richard Clark, a DOJ functionary who nearly became attorney general as a key villain and a host of issues that were explored by former attorney general Jeffrey Rosen under testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee this past weekend. Now, If this information doesn't compel Merrick Garland to pursue Trump and his co-conspirators, then I truly believe nothing will. I'm curious from your point of view, what's your take on accountability for those who try to overturn the election? You should be held accountable for attempting to subvert the core procedures of our democracy. Nothing should be more important than guaranteeing that. 
right? <laughs> I mean, nothing. Yeah, one would it's, think. It's a, it's, this is why it's something called impeachment, because it's high crime. The idea of a high crime, you know, it's not a crime when you're high. It is a high crime, which is, is it's, it's, <laughs> it's a crime that seems to be directed towards the system as a whole. And what really drove me crazy is that this was really not even for any cause. It was for ego. It was simply because he couldn't handle losing, couldn't handle the notion. This is so fascinating about laughter. And we were talking about comedy, you know, because this thing I noticed very early with Trump, too. So why can't he laugh at somebody else's joke? And you know what? It's because when you're sitting around with someone and they make a joke and you laugh in that split second that you laugh at their joke, they're your master. You are kind of obeying them. You are kind of letting them control the situation. You are reflecting their joke. So it's all about them. He is so narcissistic. He could not allow someone else, even for a split second, to take precedence over him. You know, when someone tells a joke and it's a good joke, everybody laughs. And that person telling a joke is suddenly the person of the hour, right? And everybody, because they all have this involuntary response to it. That's power. Trump could not bear being around someone who suddenly was able to exercise power over him. So he didn't laugh. That's my theory anyway about this. He simply cannot handle the reality of other people. And the truth is, when you look at his life, he never had to, really. You know this better than I do, but he, he, he never had to go out there as an equal among equals and grapple with reality. He was always this scion. He was always this gifted person who was gifted this enormous inheritance he was always given what he had and he owned and he owned a private company where he could dictate anything he didn't even have a board to to be answerable to who never accountable to anyone but himself which is why in my view he was just characterologically in his personality in his psyche unfit to do the job that he did as president just unfit it is not you cannot have a person in that system that really does not even understand the basic principles of the system, which is given, give and take, live and let live. We can do things together. We're a collective. And so he misunderstood entirely what the presidency is about um, and tried to turn it into his own fiefdom, which would have been the end of the American experiment, the end of it. It was close. It still is close. Well, it still is close. That's the point I was going to make. And it started with the inaugural speech. At that point in time, we had not seen our country as divided as it was at that specific moment. Of course, now we've seen it even more divided. But up to that moment, how he made the entire campaign into a war, them versus us, right? One of the things that we were hoping that he was going to to express in his inaugural speech, we all need to come together. We all need to be one. We're all Americans. Well, no, 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 no. They'll never vote for me. I don't give a shit about them. I'm just going to try to solidify my base as much as possible, a base big enough that would give me win over win over win. And to the rest of you, I will force you to vote for me because I will become your supreme leader. Now, you keep talking about, you know, how Donald wanted to be president and understand the presidency. You're right. He's never read a book in his life, but he certainly knows what a dictator wants. It's the way he ran the Trump org. 
And that's the way he wanted to be with the United States. And he knew enough about the the Putins, the Stalins, right? The Mohammed bin Salmans, the Erdogans, the Duertes, the Castros. He knew enough to be dangerous. And then when we gave him the office of the presidency, he became that danger. Yeah, he was he was comfortable with them because they had the same mindset that he had. And also, he's one of these people that thought it was, he kind of thinks it's cool to be an asshole. Like, and it's kind of cool to be the person who threw that journalist out of a window or who got that person assassinated. He kind of has this affection almost for the, the ruthless. And the, the, if he went into a casino, he'd want to find out who the, who the real mafia bosses are and talk to them, not the people who might be whacked. He wanted to talk to the people who do the whacking. That is a, an instinct in him, as if, as if that's sophisticated. That's the real shit, as far as he's concerned. That's the real, they're the people that get really things done. But they don't, of course. But that's his worldview. And, you know, you only had to read a couple of biographies of him to see this. And also, his complete lack of interest in anybody else's collateral damage from him. Like, you know, like the, 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 the people who gave him money, invested vast amounts of money, the banks, Eventually, he became so big, they couldn't let him fail. And they took the hit. Yeah, I, look, look, I, I've, I've read all about that over the years. I've been involved with some of the of reorganizations did. of Trump Entertainment Resorts. And I can tell you, I still to this day do not understand how he managed to escape that. He was not too big to fail. He's not Amazon. He's not Facebook. He's not Google. He is a small, and I mean a very small microcosm of the real estate industry in any locale where he has property, whether it's New York, Florida, California. It makes a difference. Too too small to fail. You could have sold Trump Airlines to anyone Right. Uh, I mean, he they could have taken the casinos and given it to anyone. There's a story that's there that nobody knows uh, why they allowed it to happen. I have no idea. Um, and the same. Well, the banks themselves, Trump Chicago, the banks themselves would have gone under if they'd had to accept the collapse of his business. And that was the problem. He got them frightened of their own crashing. So that's how it happened. It wasn't that someone gave him a favor. They, he just inveigled so many people that their the losses of the people around him would be so great if he failed that they decided they were going to give him another chance. And again, that's just I mean this is this is the this is the word that always got me. He just doesn't have an understanding of what it means to be responsible, which means that you take the hit. You sometimes take the hit even if it wasn't your fault. Because you understand. Uh, hello. Uh, hello. Yeah. You think? I, I kind of understand that one. <laughs> right. Now, Andrew, I'm curious of your take on the larger MAGA movement and the millions of Americans who swear by Donald Trump and continue to believe his every utterance. When the history of this period is written in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from today, how will these Trump years be categorized in your opinion? It's going to be a fascinating story, isn't it? I mean, it's not completely new. There have been many other populist moments in America where you look at Father Coughlin or you look at Huey Long. If you look at these people who emerge, who want to be kind of tin pot dictators, but they've never actually got the presidency. 
because usually they go through a political route. And if they are a complete dictator, it becomes apparent and they flourish and they crash. Um, Look, I think we have to look more structurally that, in fact, some of the arguments that Trump made, some of the issues that he pointed out are real issues and real arguments that were not being made by other people. And they should have been made by other people more responsible and, and adjusted than he was. So the country allowed, for example, trade, free trade to, to really gut parts of America, industrial Rust Belt America, it really gut it. Uh, we also, our immigration policies really did trans, transform the country more rapidly than almost any other era in our society. We are now at a peak historic peak of foreign-born immigrants in this country. So these were happening. The elites were fine with them. A lot of people were disturbed and worried and anxious about them. And the elites refused to really acknowledge this. The elites also carried on making super big mistakes like the Iraq War or or the, the way in which they liberalized the economy that led to the markets that led to the 2008 crash. They did things that really should have been called on. But none of them in the elites were prepared to call them themselves on it they were too friends with each other they were too cozy it took this dude and i remember that moment in that primary campaign the republicans where he he was the first one to say you know bush sucked (laughs) he he got us into this war and it was a disaster no republican had said that so when you don't allow real debate in your own ranks you leave open the chance that an outsider will come in and exploit that and it's also true that these elites have been wrong And it's also true that many of them took for granted uh, the votes of people who were not being spoken to and not being listened to. And especially the figure of Hillary Clinton, who was kind of a symbol, a symbol to many people of an elite that would never listen to them, that really thought they were, quote unquote, deplorable. So he had the perfect nemesis and he was able to exploit genuine issues. And really, it's and he is, and I will say this about him, uh, he's a very talented demagogue. He knows how to whip up a crowd. It's instinctive. It's, it, it's a very weird skill, but it is powerful. And the minute I saw that, I thought, he's going to win. And I told everybody he was going to win, and everybody looked at me as if I was out of my mind. Um, but I think part and of- And I said it also. I, I said it also on CNN with Chris Cuomo. Oh, yeah? Where, yeah, and early, early, I said, that's okay. You keep making fun now. Soon enough, you're going to be calling him President Trump. Yeah. And the reason, in line with what you're saying, Donald Trump knew how to exploit the popularist view by people. Their fears. What are our fears? Immigration, right? You know- He heard somebody say a line, which is that, you know, a country without borders, quite frankly, isn't a country. And I remember seeing, you know, that look on his face, you know, that one like the like uh, if someone sucked on a lemon and farted in your face, you know, you know, he sort of puckers up and he makes that inquisitive like he's actually thinking. He's not thinking about the comment. He's thinking how to exploit that opportunity. You know, there's. Um, there's a a rash of gun violence going on. Whoa, right? Now you realize that there's 13 or 15 million guns in the hands of Americans, something like that, right? So now he figures, oh my God, let's make a Second Amendment issue. They want to take away our guns, right? And you need to have protection against that guy 
who was a lunatic that broke a window and started shooting at an open crowd, right? Iran, you see all of these people that would come back to the United States after protecting these foreign lands. And he would say, well, what the fuck did we get out of it? And so he decides to exploit somebody else's tragedy and say, let's just take the oil. To the victor goes the spoils. Well, um, yeah, not always, right? In other words, you also don't rape, pillage, and plunder Genghis Trump. It doesn't really work that way. No, we set up America. To Trump, it does. America set up a system of international law and regulations, the Geneva Conventions, to make war. War is awful, but there are some things within it that you don't do. You don't massacre civilians. You don't kill the family members of people, things like that, that he seemed to have a relish in violating. Now, these, but, but, and he would also, as you notice in those rallies in the campaign, he would listen. So those crowds also taught him what they wanted to hear. And the lines that did really well, he remembered and kept in. The lines that died, he cut out. This was an intuitive intuitive talent and it must be and you would know this better than me it must be because he was unlike a lot of people in these elites he had constant contact with construction workers with people who came from non-college backgrounds he could communicate with them and i think one of the reasons i could see it is because i'm also my parents none of it i'm the first one in college in my family so i have a family that that has that isn't that hasn't been turned into something else by the elites and so I was able to see why these things were powerful. And it is understandable that people are frightened when their country is changing so dramatically. It is understandable people are anxious when their factories close. It's understanding when they hear a different language spoken in their own. These things are difficult to deal with. But he was a master at exploiting it. And, and I don't, again, I think the political class constantly underestimated his skill at being a demagogue. It's a really important skill, that speaking skill. He casts a spell, Michael, it's quite clear. You can see it happening in front of people. And, and, he, and he, there's also a weird kind of empathy. They kind of think, even though he's an asshole, he's our asshole and he's on our side, right? That's the tribal instinct. Listen, I was part of that cult and I can tell you it is a spell. Did you know only 1% of day traders actually turn a profit? In other words, only one out of a hundred people can actually make a living by picking stocks. You can't control the markets, but you can control your risk. So how do billionaires like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos control their risk? They invest in blue chip art. Don't worry, it sounded unusual to me too when I first heard this. But contemporary art pieces outperformed the S&P 500 returns by 174% from 1995 to 2020 even topping gold and real estate returns by more than two times. With Masterworks.io, you don't have to choose between big risks and potential returns. Mea culpa subscribers can skip the wait list by visiting Masterworks.io slash mea culpa. So go to Masterworks.io mea culpa today. See disclaimer at Masterworks.io slash disclaimer. But something that you said about Donald speaking, you know, uh, with these construction workers, these blue collar workers, I want to be very clear about this. Donald Trump never spoke with them. He spoke at them. To him, they are absolutely nothing. 
They are people to be exploited, to be used, you know, to for him to garner something that benefits him. And all you have to do is look at the January 6th insurrection when he said to everybody, they're stealing the election from us. Now he made it not about him, bullshit. He made it about all of us and whipping them into a frenzy. I will see you. I will meet you at the Capitol. You think he went to the Capitol? No. He sent his pet because he's a fucking coward. Guy never had a fight in his whole life. He's a coward, right? That's why he talks tough. Instead, he sends this paramilitary group off to go raid the Capitol, to go attack the Capitol, off of his words. And then he wants to turn around and watch it on television. He wants to watch Rome burn, right? But he wants to watch it from the top of the mountain so that he doesn't get hurt, you know, that he doesn't get implicated. When I say hurt, I don't mean just physically. I'm talking legally. But, you know, Andrew, just moving on for a sec, when do you think that the GOP as a party will move on from its current fixation and devotion to Trump? What do you think it'll take for the voters and the politicians to collectively move on in revulsion? Because you got to be fucking revolt. I mean, you just got to be nauseous from the shit that's going on right now. Or do you actually believe that we are in the beginning of a larger flirtation with authoritarianism and for the foreseeable future that we will have to contend with this in our elections, in our democracy? I hate to say that I think the latter is probably the last thing you said is probably true. Um, here's what I, but however, I think that as we saw in the last election, as we saw in the 2016 election, he doesn't have a majority. He doesn't. Uh, he's never had a popular majority. This drove him crazy, of course, and he lied about it and tried to deny it. But in fact, he's very potent in rallying. But when you rally his tribe and they turn out in big, in a major force, they still didn't win. Um, and they didn't win the popular or the electoral vote. So my view is this. I think, my, I suspect the Republicans are going to do well in the midterms for all sorts of reasons. You, it usually happens. And I think the Republicans, he's going to run again. I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. I don't see anything in his past that would lead him not to. And I think the only way the Republican Party is going to get past Trump is to put him up again and have him lose again. It's the only thing that some political parties need to change. You notice how, like, for example, uh, the Democrats kept putting up these people who kept losing until they decided to go for for Clinton. Um, This is after Reagan. And they, they, they tried many times with the same kind of candidates and they failed. And only then having failed in the practice of winning elections, did they change? I'm not looking to them to look to principles because it's clear whatever principles they ever had, they threw them out a long time ago, but sometimes political reality helps. That's why I'm really nervous the Democrats are going too left, too woke, too out there uh, to r- really rally a national majority again. And so I'm, I'm, I'm alarmed by his capacity to construct a coalition that might have a chance only if the alternative is worse. Um, and so, but I, but I kind of think he's going to lose again. I think there'll be enough people. Of, will be around saying, do we really want to go through four more years of that? 
The only reason, yeah. Andrew, let me, yeah. Andrew, let me just stop you for a second. I know my my listeners hate when I do this. Uh, they like when I just let the uh, guest talk on and on and on. I do want to tell you, he will not be running in twenty twenty four. There is no doubt <laughs> in my mind. First of all, his fragile ego will never allow him to run, knowing that he's going to lose. Mm. So that's the first. The second, all of the legal issues that are right now plaguing him, his children, his eponymous company, and so on, he's going to be financially wiped out. He's not going to be able to play off the, I'm a great businessman. No, you're not. No, you're not. You inherited a shit fucking ton of money, and that's about it, right? You invested money that you know you took from your family, from your daddy, right, and so on. And you know you're far from the success. Now that they have his tax returns, they're going to see what he's legitimately worth. They're going to use those tax returns to basically show that he's been stealing money from the country, not paying his fair share of taxes. He's not running. He's going to use the next two years to grift off of his supporters as much as possible because, like The Apprentice, that's going to be his big money, um, you know, his, his intake uh, as it relates to having money. And the way he even set up this pack, he set it up in a way that I think only 10 or 15% of the money has to be used for politics. The rest he has complete discretion over. Hello, uh, you know. Yes. Here's the public service announcement. If you're a Republican and you believe in Donald Trump, don't send him money because he's grifting off you. Maybe you should use the money for yourself, your food, your electricity, your car bills, your phone bills, right? Your medical bills. Don't give it to Donald. He doesn't need your money, or maybe he does, but you shouldn't give it to him anyway. Thanks for listening. I mean, that's really that's really what we got here. I, I got to well, ask we'll you this see. question. We'll, no. we'll find out, won't we, who's right and wrong. I, I tend to think yep. he's well, so... He's so incapable of acknowledging because not to run again would be to concede that this process was legitimate. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I Michael Wolf for what I mean, I don't know whether you must know Michael Wolf. He's he just says he's gonna run again and he doesn't think there's any doubt about it. But look, no one knows, and I, I appreciate your point of view. Look, I beat I beat your fellow Nigel Farage in a fifteen thousand dollar bet that Donald was gonna lose yeah. the election. Um, I'm more than happy to throw, you know, I'll double down, even though I donated all the winnings. Um, you know, I, I didn't feel it was right to keep it as I donated the money um, to various different causes. But rest assured, his his ego is so fragile. This loss, the only way he could keep this loss in check is to turn around to say it was stolen right. from him. It was not. If he loses again, right? Right. What is he going to say? They stole it from me twice. Huh. Twice. Right. How could one guy have the presidency right. stolen twice? Right. Right. He's going to say he's too old, his health, his this, his well, that. Michael, Melania doesn't mouth, want me to do it. From your mouth to God's ears. I mean, I, I hope to God. And, and there are other characters. And you look at some of the responsible right-wing parties. You look at the Tories in Britain. They are able to deal with immigration and trade and national, nationalism in a way that's still not completely destructive of the constitution of the country itself. So it can be done. And there is a majority. I mean, one of the interesting things is that there is more support for some of those positions among Latinos and among African-Americans and among other minorities. He actually gained support from those groups over those four years. So there is a potential. If someone could come along and say, look, these work people are doing America down. They hate you. They're dividing us. 
we want to look forward. We want to get this country moving again. I'm not crazy. Uh, and I'm, I'm an inclusive person, but I'm not woke. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and bring us back to normal. People will love that shit. And they just have. Yes. So Trump is in the way. He's an obstacle to the Republican Party's survival, in my opinion. And, and that we need to have new, whether it's DeSantis or anybody else, we need to have new people coming in, presenting new perspectives that have come from the democratic processes that aren't sort of outsiders that can do responsibly what Trump recognized irresponsibly, but saw and to be exploited, but they might actually see it to do something about those things. Yes, and but you use the right word, exploited. That's what Trump does. He has that ability to figure out. For example, in Florida, in, in Florida, the Cuban-American community, incredibly wealthy, incredibly educated, right? Incredibly American. Why did so many of them support Donald Trump? And I'm going to tell you the answer. They supported him because they didn't want to see, as Donald would put it, a socialist in the White House, to which Donald declared that Joe Biden is a socialist and so on. Now, why he made that statement? Because he knew that it would impact a certain group of people. And that's how he managed to increase. They certainly did not want a Fidel Castro in the, in the right. White House. Well, guess what? By electing him, that's what they got. They got a guy who wanted to become like a Fidel Castro, like a Putin. So it's funny how he bullshitted them. And yet, like all proud people, going back to our very first opening comment, like all proud people, <laughs> you don't want to admit that you're wrong. Right. And so they will fight in order to prove that they were right, that Donald is a good guy. He's a businessman. He got rid of. There are things that he did that were good. There are. The problem, though, is he never finished with anything. There was never a program in order to finish the idea. Yes, right. We need to fix our immigration system. Everybody's been talking about that for 50 years. The answer, though, is not separating children from their parents and locking people up in cages and separating children from their families altogether, keeping them here, sending them away, where you still have over 1,500 children who have not seen their parents. I mean, he was, he was, he was unable to pass a law, simple law, funding the war, grappling with long-term immigration policies, grappling with the problem of huge demand to come into this country when he could have because he, he, because Stephen Miller wanted everything, and so they scotched it. Um, and now we have this year a million, one point one million people coming into the country uh, because of the backlog, and because he failed to make the country secure. Uh, and it, it and, and Anne Coulter, you know, for example, she she she's the one person to say, well, hold on a minute. You said you were going to build the wall. That was the one thing you said you'd do. And you have not done it. You haven't cared about it. You haven't really done it. Screw you. I mean, Anne, you know, for all her many sins, did have a view that was separate than cultish worship of him. And when he violated I've asked her that, to come on the show and talk about it. Well, she, I hope she does. She's terrific. Yeah, so far she hasn't. So far she is terrific. But she hasn't. She hasn't to answer me. I want to ask you since we're talking about you know other people. Do you see a moderate conservative savior emerging in the GOP who has the balls to take on the far right for the soul of the party? Mm. Like for example, like Liz Cheney or like 
Adam Kinzinger are far from moderates, but they seem to be taking on that mantle. Is there an opening here or is this just wishful and naive thinking by me? It's wishful and naive thinking by you, Michael, but I, but I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, I want that too. I mean, Liz Cheney, I have many issues with Liz Cheney. I have many issues with Tom Cotton, for example. Um, but the, they, are re- re- they are responding to the fact that this man, Trump, still has the psychic bond, a grip on people's psyches that is very, very hard to break. And also they've invested their own pride in. So, it's, it's, so therefore, they're now at stake. And even though, and, and the more right you are, the more uncomfortable they are, the more they will dig in. So we have to find someone, some way of dislodging it, giving them an off-ramp that doesn't require them being humiliated. And, I, and, I, and so it's going to require a kind of third person, someone to come in between the Liz Cheney's and the Kinzigers and the people who have no ability to stand up to him at all. Uh, so I, I think DeSantis is a pretty good possibility of someone who can do DeSantis. Well, as someone who has, <laughs> you just need to have a thought attack there. DeSantis. But I'm talking just in terms of his ability to have a different story, but to support the same kind of themes that, that Trump did. But of course, the COVID situation has completely challenged that and has, and has thrown that up in the air. DeSantis is a fucking idiot, okay. right? I mean, he's worse. He He's a demagogue himself. I mean, just an absolute, and I, unfortunately, I've said it many times on the show, he's just a fucking fool. He's just another one of them. He's no better than the, as far as I'm concerned, the, the Boberts or the Matt Gateses of the world. He's the exact same narcissistic sociopath, right, who for a while thought that he was going to be the next Republican nominee. And then all of a sudden, what do they do? He falls into the number two spot behind the very talented, the very wise, the very the very uh, personable Donald J. Trump Jr. Right. I mean, if, and when, when that's who people want to see as your next... Republican nominee for the president for the presidency of the United States. I choked on myself. The presidency of the United States is going to be this fucking moron, <laughs> right? Whose own father would turn around in front of people and say, "You have the worst fucking judgment of anyone I've ever met." That's great. That's great. Let's have him run the country. Stupid assholes. Now, I do want to bring up something that you recently. I mean, could you imagine Ron DeSantis coming in number two to? Don Jr. I mean, that's just, it's not just funny, it's pathetic. It is. But you recently commented on an opinion piece from the New York Times' Ross Dethat, which examined the rights continued and troubling fascination with Hungary and its leader, uh, Viktor Orban. Now, in it, he lays out this thesis whereby conservatives are willing to tolerate varying degrees of liberalism from, from a leader who pushes back on what they view as liberal uh, progressivism, and thus the troubling marriage exists. Could you do me a favor and unpack for my listeners what you believe thought was saying in this essay and why this should be trouble to us? Well, I think what Dothat was saying, what Ross was saying, is that essentially the appeal of Orban is twofold. One is that his country is ethnically homogene- homogeneous. Like, it's, 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 it's super Hungarian, it's super white. There are not many minorities there. And, and he has built this fence around Hungary to 
prevent Syrian refugees who were going to Germany and other parts of the EU from coming in. So that is a kind of symbolic feel that he's protecting this pure nation of, of ethnic Hungarians. And the second aspect of it, which is all about immigration and insecurity, cultural insecurity. And the other thing is weirdly, which isn't really what Trump was about, but it, he's also obsessed with the gays and the transgender people and this notion of, of gender theory. And that really does seem to have traction in Eastern Europe and in Russia where demonizing the gays, which is sort of, it's, it's not as, it's just not working here anymore. People are, are past that. They don't want to, they don't, they don't want to look at the world and say our problems are these fucking homosexuals who are, who are out there. But that is the combination, a kind of populist, anti-liberal, pro-immigration, uh, anti-immigration, a white ethnicity, uh, and traditional values that can be imposed by force. And I find it deeply troubling. I really do. For me, conservatism is at its essence about resisting untrammeled power. It's about splitting it up. It's about dividing it. It's about making sure there are lots of pressure points you can push back. It's saying there are more, there are many worse things, uh, than having a system that checks and balances and asks questions and is cautious and doesn't just surrender itself to one person's will. And that is what conservatism, that's what America was about. It's about constructing a constitution to protect us from a king, a future king. It wasn't about empowering a president to become a king. It was about a system that would make a king impossible. And, and so they look to Hungary and they see this person who was slowly winnowed away the rights of independent institutions, independent newspapers, uh, university, universities, and is attempting to purge them of liberal elements. This is awful. This is not what conservatism is about. If you are going to criticize the woke for politicizing universities and for making everybody, in, then you can't go around and say, well, then let, let us take over the universities and politicize them for ourselves. That's what I mean by war rather than politics. The universities should be left alone. They should have freedom to determine what they're going to teach and what they're not going to teach. And you can criticize that, but it shouldn't be the role of a government to start intervening in what's taught in classrooms. That is that's, that's the antithesis of a free country. Yeah, I'm not country. so sure, though, Andrew. That, I'm not so sure that that's what wokeness is all about, you know, because what's happened is the history has been told in one way for so long. It leaves out a whole nother section of how America became America. But I do want to also touch on something that you just said, which is um, I want to be very clear about this. Trump is anti-gay. All right. Really? He's anti-LGBT community. He most certainly is. He is homophobic to the to the nth degree. I talk about it in my book, Disloyal, when um, there was a, a gentleman, Harvard graduate, the whole nine yards on The Apprentice, uh, black um, gay man. And he turned around and he goes, there's no way that I'm going to hire that black fag to work for us. And that's why somebody else ended up winning uh, in The Apprentice uh, and so on. He is 100% homophobic. And I, want, and I want to say this. Fortunately, that the AIDS situation is in the past and that there's medication now in order to repress it and so on. Because if it was AIDS and not COVID, you could bet your bottom dollar 
that Donald Trump would have acted like an authoritarian and he would have started rounding people up the same way he was rounding up immigrants and so on. And that and the entire community would be in danger. You could rest assured on that one, even though that many of his friends have children who are gay. And the only fun that Donald Trump would have with that individual is making fun of their children. I mean, is this true? is the man. This is yes, it is. He true. would mock people um, having gay kids. Correct. Um, yeah. And that's that's just who he is, which is why it's so personal, you know, in so many different ways, um, the way that he behaved and the things that he would do and say. But I do want to say, Andrew, remember, I told you at the beginning of the show that the hour goes by quick. Um, I have just one last question right. for you. All right. Right. I know that we've been having this fun conversation, but I must say, Michael, um, I'm, left- I'm really I've. I've really enjoyed this. You are you're a great interlocutor, and um, I had no idea you could, you, you would like this <laughs> from the image that you got from TV or from newspapers or whatever about who you were. This is a different person. Yeah, well, let me tell you, the media is not always accurate. They they lie quite a bit, and they were they were wrong quite a bit. They were wrong from me being in Prague all the way to getting paid to Poroshenko to the peace plan that Ukraine. It is so many errors that have been made. But listen, like I said, I'm big boy. I took my beating. I'm going to sit back with my popcorn and watch as Rudy gets his ass handed to him, Tom Barrick, and the rest of them. But I'm going to do it with a smile. But I have one last question for you, Andrew. The left and right seem to be locked into an ever-escalating cultural war that the right has deemed woke or cancel culture. Now, Political experts seem to believe these issues will be front and center in voters' minds for the midterms, and Democrats need to wake up to their vulnerability. Now, you've been a very vocal, you've been very vocal about this uh, and the tendencies towards illiberal thought on the left. But I'm curious how you believe that this will affect the midterm elections. Americans need to know, and we should know, the darkest parts of our past. And it has been covered up too much and euphemized and whitewashed. And if, if the campaign was to make sure that we have accurate history and don't shrink from it, I am in favor of it a thousand percent. But when they say we can use this history to argue that America itself is fundamentally an evil place built upon the oppression of black and non-white people, always has been, always will be, and that we have to de deconstruct this constitution, deconstruct a free society in order to make it more favorable to one group of people as opposed to another. That is not something that people want to hear. And it's not something they should hear because this country has many faults and no one should deny that. And racism and slavery and segregation are absolutely part of that. But it also has incredible virtues that maybe an immigrant coming here can see more clearly than others can. And America is about the future, not the past. America is about getting past race, not constantly dwelling on it. America is about the individual, not the group. And it's about the future. And there is something very pessimistic and bitter and zero-sum and kind of racist about some of these obsessions on the left. And it is alienating people. It's alienating people unnecessarily. It's, on the, it's alienating parents whose kids are coming home and saying, mommy, am I evil because I'm white? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I subjecting my black friends to oppression all the time? And 
And parents are saying, you know, this isn't, this isn't helpful. It isn't helpful. And I do think they're overplaying their hand massively and unnecessarily alienating people who otherwise might be interested in supporting them. And that is my concern about the, about the left. And defund the police, a terrible idea, a terrible idea. And, and the victims of that policy are usually poor African-American kids shot dead in the street because there aren't cops around. These things can turn on you. Crime and immigration are issues that have to be tackled by conservatives. And I would say this, I also believe by, by liberals as well as conservatives. And, there's a, and the border has to be controlled better. You know, it, it, Donald Trump hit on that line because it's also there's an element of truth in it. And if, if liberals do not enforce borders, then fascists will. So it's up to us to try and prevent these causes from empowering him to show that the left is also concerned about controlling immigration, but in a fair and humane way, as opposed to giving the impression they're all for immigrants, whatever, everyone come in, or having this attitude towards crime as if it isn't awful. And those attitudes, and we're beginning to see in the Democrats, like someone like Mayor Eric Adams, Jim Clyburn, they're solid, good African-American leaders who are moderates, who understand this is bad for them. Uh, and are trying to push back on it. And Biden, of course, has, I think, failed to do that. So that's my concern, Michael. My concern is that if you think that immigration and crime were definitely issues that helped Trump, if you go out there and you make those both those issues worse, you're helping him. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. However, where I will just disagree is, you know, something that um, I grew up with being the son of a Holocaust survivor. You can never forget the past because his, if you do, history will repeat itself, which is why you hear so many times from Jewish people, never forget, right? We can never forget. And the same thing holds true. To me, at least, it rings true with the black and brown communities, with, you know, with certain, you know, where, where I don't want my school or my school should not be named after, you know, a um, an individual who was a racist. It's it just should not be or who was a slave owner. Um, yes, that was part of our history and it should be taught properly. But we don't have to laud that individual because that individual does not represent what this country was, in my opinion, was really founded upon. Yeah, but can you have that's to- my that's my concern. But if that includes Washington and Jefferson, uh, you don't want to take down the Washington Monument. These were flawed people, but also great people. And I think understanding that people are mixtures of things, that no one's a perfect hero, no one's a perfect sinner. You know, we all have all of the above. We have virtues and, and weaknesses, and so does a country. But as a movement, America is still, still full of promise. It's still looking to the future. I agree with you. Never forget the past, but don't become so fixated on it you can't look to the future. And that is, Americans very responsive to that. Americans are all about the future. And chart a vision of how we can get along together, not how evil and despicable this country is. That's not a very productive political conversation to have. No, it's no, it's not. And Andrew, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for the hour, uh, for your insight, and uh, hope to see you again soon, my friend. That was that was fantastic. I I, I really enjoyed meeting you, Michael, and having this conversation. And uh, 
I really, my eyes are a little open talking to you. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. And now for today's mea culpa. In speaking with Andrew Sullivan and reading his work, even his most angry polemics, it is nevertheless obvious that he is a man of faith and reason. His work is about as far from the propaganda churn of Breitbart or the histrionics of Fox News as one can get. It seems almost quaint now, a throwback to an earlier age of public intellectuals when William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal would spar with one another on live television. But how does a truth thinker, someone like Sullivan, chronicle our current post-truth era? How does one account for the big lie and people like Matt Gates who hide behind the cloak of ideology but ultimately stand for nothing but the naked accumulation of power? Gates is the monster Sullivan predicted in his writing. What worries him most is how intolerance for opposing thought on both the right and the left can easily lead to authoritarianism or drive others into willing arms. Matt Gates is the end result, a clown and a troll looking to burn down the status quo with no real answers of his own. It's the fight that matters most. In the end, I suppose we get the politicians we deserve. Trump arrived at a time when the old connections and ties that bound us together began to rot and fade. In their place, we have inserted social media and the court of public opinion. We have replaced the truth with a series of alternate facts. We live now in a funhouse. That Gates would be the next logical step into further madness also makes sense. My question, though, is how far must this go? Who will come after Gates? T.S. Eliot, in his poem, The Hollow Man, expresses my sentiment best. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. 
Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more, all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. <laughs> 